0: Ever heard of the rule of 168? 168 is the total number of hours each of us gets in any given week, no more, no less. We've been conditioned to think that what separates the ultra successful from those of us who are just barely scraping by is what we do with those 168 hours. And while there's an element of truth to that, after we subtract out seven nights of sleep and a 40 hour work week, we're actually left with anywhere between 72 to 86 hours of pliable time. But that doesn't take into account the work that goes into just making it through the week. The meal preparation, the laundry, the commute, the errands, the children rearing, dovetail this very real lack of hours with a hustle culture that promotes a side gig and praises productivity. And it is no wonder why time poverty is on the rise. On this episode of Think Significantly, the finale for our second season, we're going to talk about why time poverty is more magnified than ever before, the socioeconomic factors that exacerbate time poverty, and what really separates the ultra successful from those of us just squeaking by. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Melissa, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Pete. Hello to everyone.
1: Well, hello. Hello, Melissa. Hello to our listeners. Hello to uh, people who aren't listening that should be. I- I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to welcome everyone I can think of right now.
0: It's like you put that on your, uh, what's at your vision board? That's right. You That's, be right. That's right. So many people
1: that should be listening.
0: Well, they probably are feeling overwhelmed right now by all of their to-do lists. So they're like,
1: I bet you if they had just a little bit more time, they would be here with us right now.
0: And if they listen to this podcast, they would figure out how to make more time potentially.
1: It uh, it is a tragic loop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As are most things in life, right? That's right. Yes. So full disclosure, I am recording this episode while wearing my hustle sweatshirt. Uh, I made sure I grabbed it so that I could be true to my word. And I am absolutely one of those people who has drank the rise and grind Kool-Aid. And I will tell you, it has taken me years to go, is this really how I want to live my life?
1: Well, working grueling hours is part of the American ethos. That's that that Protestant work ethic. You're feeding the, the capitalistic machine. With your one full-time and three or four or five, I lost track of your part-time side hustles. We we really can't have you thinking that you might want to balance in your life, Melissa.
0: Right, right. Don't think, just do. Yes, I've been <laughs> doing that right. for years. That's right. Right. Just head down under the under the wire, mm-hmm. You're just low crawling. Yes. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Well, I don't think that there is anyone listening today that hasn't experienced time poverty, him or herself. You know, it's our practice to start off with a formal definition. So uh, time poverty is defined as the chronic feeling of having too many things to do and not enough time to do them
1: in. Right, and while we might be really feeling it now or recognizing it now maybe more than ever, Mm -hmm. um, I read that time poverty actually started in part Due to the recession in 2008, when the economic climate was really kind of dour, and it made younger workers feel like the only way to be successful was to work long hours or, or start a side business or, or both.
0: Yes, and I do believe it's referred to as the Great Recession. Yes, sorry. Yes, right. As opposed to our shitty recession, right, right, quasi recession, right, right, as of opposed to the right, the
1: bad recessions. That was a great.
0: recession. <laughs> right. If there was a good one, that was it. Yeah. But uh, as you already noted, uh, being productive and resilient, you know, is very glorified in our American culture, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, it sure is. Yeah, putting in extra hours is honestly too often an expectation, Mm -hmm. right? Many salaried employees, especially those in management, legal profession, engineering roles, they all work over 45 hours a week at their full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. And, And I just read a survey that said that 25% of Americans have a side gig in addition to their day job. And of those, yeah, a quarter, right? And of those, 10% work 15 to 20 hours on that. So a 40-hour full-time job plus 20 hours on a side gig.
0: Yeah.
1: And while a good chunk of those people are making their side hustle, their hobby or their passion project, you know, there's a lot of folks that do it just to keep the bills paid.
0: Yeah, I believe that especially now Mm -hmm. in the not so great (laughs) recession. Right. In the the
1: recession that is just on the precipice.
0: Right. Yes. So uh, what's interesting about your first point about, you know, lots of those fields require just, just expect 45 hours out of Mm -hmm. you. Isn't that really just an extension of credential creep, which we just talked about last week, right? You've got full-time employees like burning the midnight oil to get raises or promotions or simply just to avoid being laid off, right? To be like, I'm here boss. Right.
1: Yeah. I think there's definitely a a correlation that can be, that can be sussed out there between those two, those two concepts, Mm -hmm. because those folks, they don't feel like they have a choice, but to put in the long hours in their respective industries or at their company, 60 hour weeks seem like the only way to climb the corporate ladder.
0: Oh, sure. Or it's just that that's the amount of work that there is, right? Like I experienced Time theft at my day job too, right? I'm like, how, how is this possible? Like, how can you possibly get all this work done in this amount of time in 40 yeah. hours? Well, yeah, you no, I,
1: right. That's definitely <laughs> so. In some of my positions, that's definitely been the case too, right?
0: So, um, this week I read a infographic that said that people are concerned like present day, present day Mm -hmm. about the optics of working from home. So even though like we're moving toward this trend where remote work is becoming more of like the status quo, people are concerned about it because they imagine that people won't see them as working as diligently as if they were in the office. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to think to myself, if this is why the average workday during the pandemic increased by 48 minutes, right? In those early phases of lockdowns, people were working more and perhaps it's because you're just getting used to the zoom, you know, you're just trying to figure it all out and balance everything. But I think there might be some level of, I'm trying to demonstrate an elevated level of commitment, you know, Mm -hmm. because people assume that if you're working from home, you're doing all these other things at home too. And, And usually the most I ever did was like throw a load of wash into the dryer. I tell you, as soon as I went back to work to the office, I was like, God, we waste a lot of time at the office.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah.
0: I was like, don't stop by and talk to me. Keep it moving. Right. Keep it moving.
1: Right. Yeah. Not to be overly thematic, but to tie in what we've talked about this month, if you're suffering from imposter syndrome
2: yes. and, and,
1: and you're somebody who requires a lot of feedback, working from home is awful. Yes. It's awful.
2: Awful. So and, true.
1: And talking to your, you know, the longer days The thing, the the examples you gave are certainly relevant, but it might've just become easier to continue working past the end of the workday. Right. Or Maybe that's not the right way to put it. Maybe it's harder to differentiate when it was time to stop. Right. Many of us require that change in physical space to, to change from work mode to home mode. Oh yeah. So if you're not ever leaving home, you're not ever actually leaving the office either. Right. Yeah, and since you didn't have a 30-minute commute, why not start your work day while the kids are still asleep when you would have been climbing in the car? Right. And then, then you can work uninterrupted for a while.
0: Right. So also, you don't have that, oh, God, I have to leave because so-and-so needs to get to practice, like during the pandemic, right? right?
1: That's a great it just, point.
0: It just yeah. kept going. You don't right? have that,
1: that impetus that I need to go get my kids from school. That's a fantastic point. I didn't even think of that.
0: So when you're talking to about, or when we're talking about, you know, the, the workday getting longer and just the ways that it does that, I don't think anyone will be unfamiliar with the notion that the proportion of unpaid work being done in addition to the paid labor during the pandemic went through the roof because you don't have the daycare or the school help shoulder some of that. I'm just going to be frank, that child rearing load that we were used to, right? Sure, yeah. you, you are taking it all on. Absolutely. Yep.
1: Yeah. The pandemic absolutely magnified time poverty by removing many support systems previously available for parents. And, and in some cases, adding additional responsibilities, such as grocery shopping for elderly neighbors. Mm-hmm. And while the pandemic certainly illuminated time poverty, and in many cases made it worse, this is not a new thing whatsoever. No. Right in 2012, about 50% of working Americans reported they were always rushed, and 70% never had enough time. Mm-hmm. In 2015, more than 80% said they didn't have the time they needed.
0: Right, and I'll let you uh, extrapolate out where we could be. Uh, what is it? Seven years later, about yeah, where we? Right. About how oh, many yeah. people would be reporting? Right, that right. they this didn't all, have enough all,
1: time. All pre-pandemic, pre-like the true like onslaught of social media like yes. it's, it, this certainly hasn't gotten any better
0: no definitely not so I know we started off with how we've taken to working more but as Pete alluded in the beginning as I did more and more <laughs> diving into this topic I found out that we are really just giving the surface on what time poverty is all about there are so many ingredients that go into time poverty so many causes and we're going to share those with you now
1: It's really such a thought-provoking topic and and it has such an effect on, I'm going to say so many people, but really I feel like everyone Mm -hmm. that I'm really surprised that it's not a, like a common talking point for everyone. Like, it's just, it's amazing to me how few people know that time poverty is a concept.
0: Right. They experience it, but they don't know it has a name. Right. So, um, uh, the first one that I wanted to start off with is that there is a lot of idle time that is incorporated into our work days. Mm. And idle time is defined as involuntary periods of downtime when employees cannot perform their work tasks. So, you know, you experience this sometimes when you're moving between meetings, it's like just enough time to not be able to do something else or like uh-huh. you didn't have that logbook with you or you didn't have your laptop or you needed to go back to your office for that thing and you can't. So you end up eating that time,
1: basically. I kind of always equated that to uh, like the high school experience where you have the bells and you have just enough time to get from class to class.
0: Right. But imagine like you have seven minutes to get to a class across the hall. So now you're eating six minutes of that. Mm -hmm. That goes Mm -hmm. unaccounted for. Like you can't do anything with that time. Whereas if you just had a bunch of six minutes lined up, maybe you'd have a full hour where you could be productive. But yeah. So the workspace contributes to this. There was an investigation that looked at a thousand employees across 29 occupations. And turns out this is like rampant. But of course, as soon as they talked about hurrying up to get somewhere, I immediately thought of the military. There is a culture of hurry up and wait in the military. If you're not familiar with this, lucky you,
2: Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but you'll have to be somewhere at zero four in the morning. You're sitting at the flight line on the tarmac for three hours for, you know, a flight that isn't even going to come for two more hours, just to make sure that you're there in time, you know, (laughs) all just eaten time.
1: There's so much, so much inefficiency built into that profession, which is totally the opposite of what the general public thinks about, you know, military precision and things like that. But, but it's, but it's true. There's a lot of waiting
2: Yes. So
0: um, this investigation that I'm referring to, it said that idle time between meetings, between assignments, between all these other responsibilities that you have at work, tallied up to be a hundred billion dollars a year in lost wages. Wow. That's that's how much it costs in idle time.
1: But it isn't just the idle time that causes problems. Right. No. I mean, that's a that's a contributor, 100 percent. But another thing that contributes to time poverty are. The menial administrative tasks that are not central or, or necessary to someone's job function. Think about when you go to the doctor and how much time they spend talking to you and examining you, but then they also have to spend time sitting, like in my case, my guy's got his computer right there in the office. He sits at the computer and fills out a, a bunch of paperwork and, his, and the billing information, and record keeping, yeah. right? And that takes away from time with the patient.
0: Right. It's uh, the scut work, I think is mm-hmm. what it's referred to mm-hmm. with, with physicians. Yeah, exactly. It's doing all the administrative work. So, talking about your situation right there, I was thinking in my head about how the doctor looks at you, then they go back to this thing, they go back to the form, then they talk mm-hmm. to you, and then mm-hmm. they go back to the form. Mm-hmm. Task switching, right? Oh,
2: yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
0: We all like to frame it as, oh, I'm multitasking. You're not multitasking, jack squat. You are task switching, and it is not efficient.
1: And we see that in the workplace when an employer has the employees jumping from one task to the next, Mm
2: -hmm. right?
1: It eats at our time because it takes time. It takes about 25 minutes for us to cognitively recover when we shift between tasks, especially ones that are stress inducing or that require detailed attention, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? And this has some deleterious effects on the workforce because it undermines an employee's sense of control over their time.
0: Right. And we're saying the employer, but sometimes it's just the nature of the beast. Like my full-time job is like largely like head down work, like I'm writing, Mm -hmm. but then I'm also like the reference librarian, figurative one, right? Right. Where I'm like answering questions about things that I'm writing on and I'm like up. And then I'm like back down trying to write this thing and I have to reread the whole thing over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And interestingly, or not so interestingly, (laughs) is that we have a (laughs) bunch of coping tactics at work that are actually very counterproductive. I know that I have employees that tend to speed up their work pace or they shorten the amount of time they're spending on one activity. My personal favorite is if I know I'm about to be interrupted, that I do not go back into that long 23 page document to start reading it again, because I know I'm, I'm just going to get interrupted again. So, right.
1: Well, and that goes to your point earlier about having that extra six minutes between meetings. Yeah. I'm in the same boat you are, right? I've got documents I have to revise. I've got materials I have to review and release. And if I don't have the time to sit down and do that job start to finish, well, I'm not even going to start on it.
0: Yeah, it's head down work, right? right. You need your head down to do it. Yes, right. absolutely.
1: And this probably isn't a surprise to anyone, but it's not just corporate America that causes problems. Governments also contribute to time poverty. Think about the last time, this is, a, this is pretty comical. Think about the last time you needed a permit or a license or assistance from the government in any way. What was your experience like?
0: Uh, I'm actually currently standing in line to renew my license at the DMV. Uh, I've been here all day. No, <laughs> See, I, know,
1: I know that's not true because there's not people shouting in the background. That's the, that's my been my experience every time I've gone to the DMV.
0: This but, microphone is that sensitive.
1: <laughs> You've got, like you got like a cone of silence around you. It's awesome. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like
0: um, dogs wear. After <laughs> <they win. laughs>
1: but but that's the typical experience: long lines, long wait times, lots of paperwork.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone's going to be shocked to know that the federal government wastes their time, but they might be shocked as to how much the government wastes their time. So Mm. uh, I got some fun facts for you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Being a federal worker, Mm -hmm. uh, being someone who demands paperwork out of people, (laughs) 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 I am part of the problem. Uh, So in 2015, federal government paperwork costs U.S. citizens nine point seven eight billion hours and if you're like well how much that's, money is that
1: that's incredible. it's
0: 215 billion dollars a year in lost wages because of when you start talking paperwork.
1: about billions of anything and it it's such an unfathomable number right that it really isn't even impactful because it's, it just seems silly
0: right exactly you're like okay tell, tell me it affects me 13 hours a week and i'm like now i'm in but right
1: nine point seven eight 9- Billion hours. Billion yeah, hours. Like, what can just, I do with that's, that? That's comical.
0: Yeah. So in um, there's a government agency, the U.S. Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. And of course, Ooh. it has an acronym. I think it's, I don't know. I always say OIDA. That's not right. Those are French fries. Oira. Uh, it's O-I-R-A.
2: Sure, we'll R-A? go with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we'll that. whatever. 2019, they estimated <laughs> that paperwork burdens had grown to 11.5%. Six billion hours. So what's that? In four years, it goes up
1: Two billion. A, couple, a couple more yeah. billion. Yeah, a couple more like billion. billion hours.
0: Yeah. That's, an, that's, an,
1: that's an insane amount.
0: It is an insane amount. Yes.
1: And I want to make the point <laughs> because it's in my schooling now that this sort of burden isn't distributed evenly.
2: Mm-mm.
1: Independent evaluations of government economic programs indicate that the burden of administrative paperwork. Is disproportionately placed on the poor, harming the very people that these programs are intended to help. Oh yeah. For example, you've got low and, and middle income citizens that are eligible to obtain the uh, the earned income tax credit. Mm-hmm. Well, they're required to fill out long, complex application forms and to provide numerous documents such as records of all their expenses like rent and groceries.
0: Right. At some point you're like, is this even worth it? You're right. Like, well, and for a lot of
1: people, they they bypass those benefits, the things that they're eligible for, because they don't have the time to do it.
0: Right. Exactly. Or, or they're just like, you know, it's probably going to get bounced back to me. Some sure. some, some level of hoop I'm going to have to jump through. I didn't
1: dot some i or cross some t somewhere.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to bring up one that d- definitely disproportionately affects folks, and I'll get to that in a second. But huh. this one affects all of us. It's the commute times. Oh now, yeah. Granted, we're supposed to be going away from this as we all are able to work closer to home and in our homes and in our jammy pants. But globally, employees spend about 300 hours each year traveling between work and home. That's like 10% of your total working time is just spent in a car. And not everyone has access to this amazing podcast that can help (laughs) bridge.
1: No, 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 that's not true. Well, no, you're right. Not everyone has access to it.
0: That's right. Not everyone. No, those people on those rickshaws are probably not like, hold on a second.
1: We need to get we need to get Wi-Fi to developing nations.
0: Right. Just for this podcast. So they can be like, damn, that has a name. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Bill
1: Gates. Let's come on. Let's get on this. There you go. And, you know, I'm going to keep beating this drum. Mm -hmm. But similar to paperwork burdens, commute times are not equally distributed across the income spectrum.
0: Right. That's exactly where I was going with this. Going. Yes. Yes. So
1: so the census data. Uh, that was conducted by the District of Columbia's Office of Revenue Analysis shows that the commute time for low-income working adults is 120 minutes more per week than the commute time for higher-paid workers. Two hours.
0: Well, those longer commute times, you know, they reduce the amount of time that I can use to search for better employment or complete non-work activities. Basically, a longer commute time means I am missing out on things that I could use for life satisfaction, basically. <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> sum it up.
1: Absolutely. And this, and this will come as no surprise to anyone, but there's research that says that the more time spent commuting, the more you experience feelings of time poverty. Right. The more you
0: feel like there just simply are not enough waking hours in the day to fit everything in. Mm-hmm. And, and we've discussed previously how longer commutes negatively affect our overall happiness, right? It, it just... It just makes us cranky pants. I mean, it it just does. does.
1: So we've just touched on two instances of how time poverty unfairly affects lower income folks. But when we start looking at time poverty in terms of who picks up all the slack in a household, this disproportionately affects women.
0: Right. I don't think this is going to come of any shock to our listeners, but I did want to make the point that time poverty at home especially affects women in lower economic brackets mm-hmm. care giving mm-hmm. tasks across the board are almost always done by, by women, even if they live with a partner right. and yes, there are sure there are asterisks to this. We're not saying that only women can take care of the caretaking tasks, but generally sure. speaking globally, this is, this is what is happening. So, mm-hmm. and for families that can't pay for caretakers for children or the, the elderly or the ill in their family you know, all that childcare, the various appointments that can eat up an inordinate amount of time for sure.
1: Right. The time poverty that results from the, from the hidden load of these household management tasks, Mm -hmm. they drive women. And particularly, like you said, the female caregivers out of the workforce, or, or it funnels them into lower paying jobs. Right. And in, in higher income households, unless you think they're unaffected, you have what's referred to as cognitive time poverty, right? They're, they're not actually doing the things in a lot of cases,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: they're coordinating it and they're managing it. And they're making sure that all the, like I said, all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. They're, they're basically orchestrating all these things that happen.
0: Right. Exactly. That too, does not just magically come together. Right. Right. It's like a symphony. The triangle just don't know when to come in. You got to right. signal it and be like, right. your turn a little higher right. on the base. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So you know we started off talking about the pandemic and i know in human resources we're just studying this now the toll that the pandemic took and interestingly labor market participation among women dropped to its lowest in 30 years during the pandemic because women were just struggling with the demands of both work and family and they finally ended up just just quitting
1: sure sure so, but even but even pre-pandemic a lack of time was a serious problem for women uh, especially women who have children.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the the rule of thumb is that if you're in a developed country,
1: mm-hmm.
2: women
0: spend twice as many hours per day on unpaid working. So that's cooking, cleaning, caring for children as their male counterparts. And then if you're in a developing world, like a country that's on the rise, now you're up to 3.4 times as much work falling on the women uh, wow. as, as their male counterparts. Division of labor is just is is just very different
1: yeah very skewed skewed that's a good way yes in some cases this would be because of fixed gender expectations around what work women quote unquote should do Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and in other cases the inequalities are more subtle so for many women extra time is consumed by the hidden load Mm -hmm. we hinted at this a second ago that's the emotional and cognitive labor women's shoulders, such as, and I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off. I'm going to get listy here. I know we don't like getting listy, but I'm going to get listy.
0: I can't wait to hear your list.
1: Yeah. I can't so, wait to
0: hear what you think is encompassed in this hidden
2: load. Go. So
1: women's shoulder meal planning, organizing play dates. If you have children okay. being in charge of remembering every single family member's birthday
0: and great keep, gift ideas,
1: right? Right. And and yes. right. And purchasing and, and mailing and, and, and making those di- gifts happen, keeping the school's handbook in your head all the schedules of each family member, what household items we're running low on, ensuring that babysitters are lined up and reservations are made, the unending hell that is laundry, all things <laughs> that fail to get captured in economic terms. And look, as someone who, <laughs> who's been part of a household system and has also lived on his own, mm-hmm. I recognize how little I think I was contributing uh, when I was part of a system, and mm-hmm. I and I regret that. Like at, at this point, all those things fall on me, and I 100% cop to not being able to maintain all of that myself.
2: Right,
0: it's a lot. Yeah. Well, it's part of that hidden load, right? Yeah. To juggle it all, it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how you you said about it, it gets failed to cap, get captured in economic terms because uh, that's what I would like to discuss because mm-hmm. that's usually how we capture work, right? if you exchange my services for dollars, Mm -hmm. then it gets captured. Right. Um, But it
1: counts. Quote, unquote. It it counts. counts.
0: Right. Yes. Then it's a real job. But, but if there's no exchange, then it just, it just seems to get lost in the sauce. You're right.
1: And I I think we've all seen that meme now that shows how much it would cost to hire someone or, or a host of someone's maybe to do all the things that I just rattled off. Right. And that's, Really, honestly, I came across that, which kind of spurred me to suggest this topic as a as something that we discuss on the pod, but you have like a live-in nanny, a personal chef, a gift concierge, uh, laundry, et cetera, et cetera. It, it produces some astronomical number, like half a million dollars or something. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: So that meme always, I always look at it kind of like with a skeptical
1: eye. Because- <laughs> I, 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 well, I know when I brought it to you, you were like, yeah, but...
0: Yeah, but because I'm like, really, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't know that me running the kids to all of their appointments and their sports and what have you is like the equivalent of me needing a, a my own driver, if you mm-hmm. will. But the point is, I think that we're both making is that that hidden load is just just hidden. The work gets done, but it's just sort of in the ether.
1: Right. I love I love thinking of it that way as as the magic that happens behind the scenes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And, and let's say that that you're one of these people who make that magic happen Mm -hmm. and you want to get some sort of uh i don't know recognition for what you're doing Mm -hmm. bringing up the efforts that you make toward that hidden load it often looks and sound like kvetching Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if i say to you i'm doing all of these things the message is often received as you aren't doing any of these things. Right. Right. And that makes for a very awkward and difficult conversation. Right. And and those conversations around the emotional labor, honestly, just add to the load that people carry. It's one more thing on the to-do list.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you framed it as wanting recognition of it um, because I don't even know if it's recognition. I think it's just that I want, you know, I think people just needed to know that it exists, that it needs to be recognized, period, yeah. that it's just, these are these other things that are going on that are somehow being magically performed and they right. do take such a toll. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this whole thing about the economic thing, and this might be a little bit tangential and okay. Pete, unfortunately, I think, you know, what's coming up. So this just so popped it's up. It's so in weird my-
1: for us to get tangential. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: This just popped up in my LinkedIn feed this week. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I think this is here for a reason again. You know what I'm talking about? What was my thing this week about? Oh,
1: you're talking about Joshua Bell. I know what you're talking about. I'm
0: talking about Joshua Bell. Yes, yes, yes. So for those of you who need a refresher on this or who possibly haven't seen it, Joshua Bell, renowned violinist. He sells out venues that charge a hundred bucks a seat. Uh So the whole experiment, quote unquote, is that he plays in the subway for 45 minutes and he nets $30 in tips. And of course, everyone's like, oh, there's so many like little coffee cup wisdoms that get spun out on this, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, he's not appreciated because he only got $30 in tips. And then, you know, of course, it's like always hosted by some like staffing agency. If you too are not appreciated work, click here and look for another job. (laughs) Um, But I always find this to be such a short-sighted experiment. And mm-hmm. I am going to tell everyone else why, because I know oh, you know yeah.
1: why. Oh, no, please, please go ahead.
0: So it goes to saying that we feel like we can only show our appreciation through monetary compensation. Mm-hmm. It, and or the only way that I feel value is if I receive money for my services, mm-hmm. which is not true at all. I think there are so many other variables that are not captured by that experience. Like how many people felt inspired by the music that day? How many people told a friend what they had witnessed, thereby passing on some good vibes? How many people from that point on committed to carrying small bills with them to tip a street performer who had stirred their soul? You know, there's lots of things to say that his actions don't count, if you will, because he only got $30 in tips. I think that's ridiculous. And I think it's applicable here.
1: And it goes back to what we just said about that unpaid labor doesn't count if it doesn't yeah. have a money attached to it. All right. And you're putting this guy who's this phenomenal performer. And I think that said something about him playing on some like million dollar instrument. Yes. It, yes, yes. You're putting him in a subway where famously people don't go to hang out.
0: Right. <laughs> like, Not people who generally who have money just to tip. No, you know, people, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. That's, a, out there. that's a place yeah. of
1: transition. People are going places. They're not like, oh, that sounds nice. I've got 15 minutes to blow. Why don't I just stand here and listen to the violin player?
0: Right. It's just a, it's just a
1: weird social experiment.
0: It is. And the whole spare cash to tip a violin virtuoso, especially in today's. Who
1: cares, right. Who carries cash even? And just, I know we're being a little bit silly right now, but I would just want to make sure that we're driving the point home here. We're not saying that the answer is just to be more appreciative right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the way that people could have been super appreciative to hear him play that day, right?
0: Right. Just being appreciative doesn't lessen the load, but appreciation is a start Mm -hmm. because if you can appreciate the hidden load, it means you've seen it, you've recognized it. And that's a starting point for a conversation,
1: right? It's it's actually kind of like the first step to fixing a problem is acknowledging that there is a problem.
0: I think this is a great point in time to then talk about the repercussions of time poverty Uh because we've now been like, Hey, you need to see it. But also, I don't think everyone realizes how they're being impacted by time poverty. Some people might be like, oh, it doesn't affect me. You know, I don't magically make the toilets clean. So, um, but it does, it affects society at large for sure.
1: Yeah. So, individual people will experience the feeling that days are passing by too quickly. Time poverty leads to poor sleep, burnout, depression. For some, the health impacts can be even more significant. You, you can feel overwhelmed by domestic responsibilities, uh, which has been shown to cause women to delay seeking medical care. There's one study that I saw that showed that over a quarter of American women had put off or not sought healthcare within the last year, last 12 months, due to a lack of time. I believe that. 100%. A year, a year. yeah. That is I will insane. make sure the Same. dog
0: has her shots before I go to my annual, uh, yes, exactly.
1: Right, 100%. right. Yeah. because you're so busy coordinating everyone else's stuff, you don't have time to take care of yourself. And there's also evidence that time poverty promotes unhealthy eating habits, which shouldn't be a surprise, and decreases right. exercise, which shouldn't be a surprise. Those who are time poor experience much lower levels of well-being.
2: Right, it
0: all becomes this very circular sort of thing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So I have in my notes here that there was a interestingly, it was it was a survey done by Go Banking Rates. Um, Okay. I know of all the places, but Uh yeah, interestingly, it said twenty eight percent of participants reported that their side hustles were negatively affecting their mental and physical health, uh-huh. okay? increasing their stress, challenging their work-life balance, straining their personal relationships. So didn't we say before 25% yep. of Americans? So 20, 25% quarter,
1: right, have that side hustle.
0: That's a quarter of American population with some sort of side hustle that is now being like pushed to the brink. And how many people are they impacting? Right. They're impacting spouses, significant so others. Right. Other children, family
1: members. Sure. Other
0: family members, roommates.
1: He- yeah. I yes. mean, there's no, there's no shortage. It could even be affecting people at your normal day job.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Oh God. Yeah. You come in all bleary eyed cause you've been up coding. Yep. Yep. Now
1: yeah, you're
0: trying absolutely. to operate a machine Good
1: or, Lord, or research us. and stuff for a pod. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not like that's not a, yeah, I, that would we, never happen. It's not and, like that's not our <laughs> side hustle. <laughs>
2: And those,
1: all those working hours actually, like I can put numbers to this, how they're dangerous. The World Health Organization did a study that said that working at least 55 hours a week kills more, ready, kills more than 745,000 people a year.
0: Because they're working over 55 hours or or more?
1: Three quarters of a million people. They say what? die because they've worked over fifty five hours a week, and they they come to this conclusion by asserting that working too much increases the risk of stroke by thirty five percent and increases the risk of heart disease by seventeen percent. And that problem is only getting worse as more and more people work longer and longer hours.
0: Yeah, and as you alluded to before, not that losing people at work isn't an organizational impact, but what I was saying, if you come in sort of like bleary-eyed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you have organizational impacts
1: at work. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Research suggests that the individual impacts that we just talked about,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: we talked about, you know, poor sleep, poor diet that caused employees to make more mistakes at work. Yeah. Right. And it ends up costing businesses more in health insurance because they're not sleeping and they're not eating right. And they're not exercising.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: costs them a high turnover and yes. it costs them in more sick days. For sure.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, just when you think about health as an overarching sort of schema, you have that lack of ability to explore interest outside of the obligatory responsibilities like work or family care. Like right. you're missing out on leisure activities that can support a healthy quality of life.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. But it also isn't just the downtime and a chance to explore your, your interests and your hobbies that the particularly time poor are missing out on. Okay, mm-hmm. they're also missing out on opportunities to improve their life circumstances.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Parents who are also students, so people who are in school that have children, are okay. less likely than their childless peers to complete college. And, and individuals with children under the age of 13 spend much less time on education, with experts specifically pointing to time poverty as the primary cause.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the time impoverished struggle to carve out the hours they need, right? They, they just don't have the hours to make better employment decisions or, or in some cases to make good financial decisions. You don't have the time to like look into all of your options and Mm -hmm. and weigh them out. All of that takes a considerable amount of time.
1: Sure. And then people become trapped in this, in this vicious cycle, right? Their, Mm -hmm. their low income makes them time poor, right? They've got the longer commutes. They've got all the things that we've already discussed, but, but the lack of time stops them from improving their economic circumstances. Right. So while people hustle to make their ends meet, they're actually hindering their advancement into potentially better situations.
0: Which ultimately results in a wage gap. And right. when you have less disposable income, you have less ability to buy yourself some time capacity.
1: Right. And I believe that the going term for what you're trying to allude to is leverage. Yes. You can't buy more time. That's, that's a resource that we can't grasp like that, but you can sell your available hours to someone else, right? And if you have someone who cuts your grass for you or cleans your house or or runs errands, picks up your cleaning, you have leveraged their time on your behalf.
0: And this would explain why an Elon Musk is able to spend 100 hours a week at work. It's not that he's cracked the code on how to bend time. It's just that he is absolved from... 20 to 30 hours a week of minutiae.
1: Right. So let's talk about how to work to combat this. Okay. One of the primary ways that we can be relieved of this burden is to lessen the amount of time it takes to complete unpaid work. Sure.
0: Right. Absolutely. So they, I know in all of the studies that i read and the research that i read the articles they talked about like how the washing machine right that's mm-hmm. that's one of those things it lessens the amount of time to complete unpaid work so sure. you have advances in machinery and technology but i think before we create a new washing machine just simply having a conversation about reallocating the workload would go a very long way recognizing it and then having a discussion about who can shoulder some of that hidden
2: workload
1: absolutely. Given the technology that we have, we're so far advanced from where people a hundred years were, as far as having the ability to have the maximum amount of free time. And yet we still don't. And right. it's, it's really a matter of taking the people that are shouldering the majority of the burden and spreading that out, making it a team effort.
2: Right.
1: Um, we can also be more cognizant of how we're spending our time. Mm-hmm. Right. Last season, we talked about scheduling and how people arrange their day. And we know that some of our most successful people, such as Thomas Edison, Albert Einstein, they tracked their time with a log of what they were doing every 15 minutes from the time they got up to the time they went to bed. And that helped them see where their time was being devoted and gave them the opportunity to make changes that allowed them to prioritize their more important items.
0: Yes. And, and realizing when you do have that time that is being wasted for you, that has been pre-programmed, like into your day, the time Mm -hmm. in between the meetings or whatever.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. I actually have my to-do lists arranged in sort of, uh, I think of them in terms of, of bites. And I hate saying that because it gets us back to season one, where we talked about eating frogs and elephants (laughs) and what have you. But Uh,
1: there are some things that are like
0: small bites, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that I'm like, what can I do right now? There are some tasks that are small bites. And I try to fit those in when I have the opportunity. So I'm not saddled with a bunch of little bites when I get back to my desk. I don't want to spend my hour doing little bites. I'd rather spend the six minutes that it's going to take to, to get some of those things done.
1: Yeah, but we also have to acknowledge how we don't even have the opportunity a lot of times to work on those big bite items, those large uninterrupted swaths of time. Mm-hmm. Right, we're constantly interrupted by our devices, by our email, by people stopping by our desk. We're constantly getting interrupted by things.
0: Right. What we're referring to is actually this is this has got a name too. This is called time confetti. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, there are things we can do to ensure that we are not being interrupted every five seconds by a device.
1: Sure, I love that name. It's so precise in what it's describing mm-hmm. because we all carry with us. Everyone in this country, at least, carries with us these devices. That notify us all the time about other things to look at. A typical hour, we break up our chunk of time into two minutes to look at Facebook, and then 10 minutes reading and responding to an email, and then five minutes of just seeing what the latest hot takes on Twitter are. And before you know it, your free hour is gone.
0: Right. And that's how you get to time confettiing people because mm-hmm. all of those notifications take any free time you have and they just shred it to tiny pieces. And now you got a vacuum, damn it.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You just made a mess of an hour. Right. And it's also important to point out that we undervalue our time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I saw a survey where 52% of the people that were surveyed were financially comfortable, but extremely time poor. And if you're wondering who these people are, I'm thinking the double income families with children. Yeah. 52% said they'd rather have more money than more time and asked how they would spend a hypothetical $100 prize. To increase their happiness, only two percent of these people said that they would spend the money to save time, such as having grocery delivery.
2: Well,
0: I can understand this because I don't want anybody else picking out my produce. (laughs) Like (laughs) nobody picks broccoli like me. I'm just saying. (laughs) So (laughs) that would that would make me angry because then I would feel like I gotta go do it. And you took my money, like I gotta go do it myself.
1: Fill in in the blanks for some other time-saving measure, but the point is. People were more interested in having the money than having the time. Yes. And as we alluded to at the very top of the episode, we have such a thing for staying busy.
0: Oh, yeah. Busyness at work carries status, man. We wear it like a badge of honor, right? We want to be seen as that employee. We're like, oh, I'm so loyal. I'm working the longest hours, you mm-hmm. know, even when those hours are not productive. <laughs>
2: That's yeah. what's and, crazy. Well,
1: and research shows that employees who boast about working nonstop and being extremely busy. Are seen by their coworkers as being better workers who have more money and prestige, even if they don't. They're even thought, and I can't believe this, but they're even thought to be more physically attractive.
0: People who are busy.
1: Yeah, are th- yeah. What's
0: that? Like haggard is the new black. Like the. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't know. Crazy. And the uh, let's see, the conjoined twin. I don't know if that's too awkward to say. Of our of our love of business. <laughs> is that we also don't appreciate idleness. Yeah. Idleness has been shown to be a, a valuable form of leisure time that increases our feelings of time afterwards.
0: Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. If we feel like it's time well spent, we don't feel like we squandered it. Right. No, I mean, there, there's definitely studies on this. The physical, mental benefits of disengaging the brain are far more valuable than, than keeping the mind engaged. At all times, right? Mm-hmm. You you mm-hmm. need those breaks in order to jump back into the double dutch. Right, you know, right?
1: Then yeah. this is the last one. I think we think that we will have more time tomorrow than we do today.
0: What what is this saying? The trouble is, you you think you have time.
1: Yes, or or in this case, you think that you will have time.
0: Right, and statistically, the best predictor of how busy you're going to be next week is how busy we are right now. Mm-hmm. We our minds frequently forget this important point and trick us into believing that we'll have more time later on than we do now and this over optimism and perhaps i'm just projecting here means that we are very <laughs> cavalier with our yeses even for like small stuff we don't want to do we're like yes i'll do that thinking like oh that's next tuesday yeah
1: sure tuesday. Uh, next two that yeah. that week's going to be great yeah and saying yes has other benefits for us. We see it as a way to overcome idleness, which we've already discussed, isn't seen as a as a virtue, right? We are able to feel productive, we're able to feel connected, valued, respected, even loved if we say yes.
0: Sure. Essentially, what we're saying is that our society and our psychology makes these time traps, these contributors to time poverty, very appealing.
1: And as we've seen, there are multiple forces at work at any one given time. So it's no wonder that we feel so depleted.
0: However, in identifying some of these forces by calling them out by name, we can work towards having some time surplus.
1: Mm -hmm. And look, we both realize that simply staying off your devices while you're trying to finish a work report is not going to somehow make up for the 20 extra hours of household load that you carry on your back each week.
0: No, I mean, Pete's right. Yes. But if you aren't that person saddled with that extra workload... Here is your opportunity to observe, engage and and get into the game to to see where you can work to alleviate that oppression. And I'm going to call it as such.
1: So working toward that time affluence is about recognizing and overcoming the time traps in our lives and intentionally carving out happier and more meaningful moments each day.
2: Right.
0: No matter what time affluence looks like for you. The happiest and most time affluent among us are those who are very deliberate with their free time, which means that they have free time to be deliberate with.
1: Right. And yes. so we all need, or we all should identify the things that bring us joy, that are important to us, that, that, that are going to contribute to our well-being, and commit to them with the same fervor that we do all these other tasks that we've talked about right? Commit to protecting that leisure time.
0: Right. And uh, so in, in addition to committing to protecting that leisure time, work together to lighten each other's load because life is a team sport, people. It really that's, is.
1: Well, that's absolutely well said. Teamwork makes a dream work.
0: <laughs> and on that note, why don't we wrap up this very long session in which we talk about time poverty by <laughs> making it our longest episode ever.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. What yeah. A,
0: What a way to send out season two, right?
1: (laughs) Right, The irony. (laughs) The irony. (laughs) So Melissa and I would love to continue this discussion with you all on social media. Do you feel like you're dealing with time poverty?
0: Do you feel like you're dealing with time poverty after listening to us wax poetic about time poverty?
1: You can break (laughs) us up into smaller chunks and listen to us when you have time. It's fine. (laughs)
0: What unpaid labor tasks take up the most of your time? Have you noticed that your time gets shredded by social media and email? Have you ever leveraged money to get back some or to get or to add more time to your day, let's say? Reach out and let us know what you're thinking.
1: You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ThinkSigPod and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Think Significantly.
0: And if you enjoyed our conversation, please rate and review us on your podcast platform. And invite your curious friends to listen. And as we said, this is our last episode of this season. And we would, we both would like to sincerely thank you for the support that we've gotten last season, this season. Pete and I will be back next season, lots of seasons here, Uh uh, with more thought-provoking conversations.
1: And until then, we wish everyone a safe and prosperous rest of this year. And we encourage everyone to think significantly about the world around you. (laughs)
2: na-na-na <laughs>